0: The following episode is a special tribute to the great Peter Alice, who sadly passed away last month. In this episode, you'll hear a mix of archive clips of Peter and also from the following contributors.
1: Jim Nance, golf broadcaster in the States and was a part-time BBC contributor for a handful of years at the Open Championship, which gave me the opportunity to be around Peter, you know, in small doses. I wish they were larger doses, but small doses.
2: My name is Hugh and Murray, relation to Peter is colleague, television colleague, PGA professional. Uh, all the things Peter did I've, I've probably done myself and vice versa.
3: I'm Hazel Irvin and for many years I worked with Peter um, as part of a team which broadcast the BBC's golf coverage. And I worked with Peter for approximately about a quarter of a century.
0: And from myself, Andrew Cotter and I worked with Peter for oh, nearly, nearly 20 years, uh, commentating on BBC television. We hope you can join us in remembering and celebrating the life of one of the Open's most iconic figures and one of golf's greatest characters, in memory of the one and only Peter Alice.
4: I want you to picture the scene and the time. It was late April 1930. My father was the golf professional at the Vanse Golf Club, on the outskirts of Berlin, because on the continent you became a professor, whereas uh, in Britain you were just uh, Alice the Pro, come on, where's my shoes, have you done the baba? But on the continent you were really something a bit special. He built up a very good reputation as a teacher at this club, which was very splendid, and I can picture the scene, the end of April, father had a busy day teaching. Jogging across the course. They lived in a very handsome bungalow in the middle of the, just by the 11th fairway, in the middle of the Black Forest where Van Golf Club was situated. And I could see uh, Mother standing at the door with the light behind her and Father arriving back home and uh, supper's ready, dear, and sitting down. What sort of day have you had? And he would say, well, it's it's been a bit tricky today. The word Nazi had not been invented then, but there were some nasty people. And he explained to my mother what a miserable day he'd had and the people were horrible. But as he drank his soup, he started to smile and he said, but I sent two of them the way with the worst slices you've ever seen in your life. He said, the sort of slice that is totally incurable he had a twinkle
0: in his eye Peter and so when he told that story he enjoyed it he loved holding a room his timing was brilliant his voice was beautiful but his comic comic timing was perfect and he had them hanging on his every word and his delivery at the very end was just perfect
1: Peter's life was way bigger than being a player Uh, his impact uh, you know, it, it was Hall of Fame worthy. He was a spokesman for the game. He was a voice for the game. And he represented it proudly.
2: His humor, his wit, his undoubted knowledge. He satisfied everyone, Peter, because he was so good at what he did. And he was loved by everyone who had the, the joy and the, the privilege of listening to him.
3: There were few better raconteurs than Peter. He was uproariously funny. He could be opinionated, he could be wonderful fun and he could tell some stories. Boy could he tell some stories. He could hold a table, he could hold a room full of people, he could hold a theatre full of people in the palm of his hand.
1: He was born into a golf family with his father, Percy, being, you know, a a decorated player in his own right.
2: His father, Percy, uh, a professional golfer, a very different world it was then, but uh, a world that Peter carried through to the end uh, of his life. Uh, Very much a, a professional golfer and proud to be one.
1: Dave's teammates, who also shared this quiet, reserved confidence, where the handsome Englishman playing in his seventh Ryder Cup match, Peter
0: Alice. You know Peter's record: eight times a Ryder Cup player. And, you know three times he won the PGA Championship. We, you know when I was um, getting into broadcasting, people were talking about Monty Colin Montgomery having won it three times in a, in a row. You know Peter won it three times. He was a hell of a
2: player.
3: I think many people have forgotten just how good a golfer Peter was. It always struck me that when I was doing my prep and research for the various tournaments that we broadcast, I'd always look back and make sure I had all the facts and figures about each member of the team and their relationship with that specific event. And when it came to something like the the BMW PGA Championship, for example, goodness me, serial winner, Peter Alice.
4: I've enjoyed it all because I've never really worked very hard at it as dear old Gary Player will uh, absolutely guarantee that he never saw me out practicing i used to i used to hit a dozen balls with a two and i was bloody good with a two iron one of the most difficult clubs you and the ground was a bit rough and, and if i hit sort of seven decent ones out of ten i didn't see the point in spending there all day long hitting anymore i knew how it worked and if it went all right it was fine i must tell tiger that one day if i get a chance to see it He
0: would be the first to admit that his putting got the better of him in the in the 60s, and that's one of the reasons why he gravitated after he'd been asked by Ray Lakeland, a producer, to to do commentary. Why, you know, he thought that it might be a good idea because um, because his once your putting goes, he says once your putting goes, you know, you you can't really compete. He was a beautiful player, T.T. Green, but I mean his his car registration plate said it all: putt three. Um, so yeah he he knew what his failing was at golf but this was his feeling was towards the end of his playing career he'd been a f- very very fine player better than that and of course son of persialis who i think played in six Ryder cups
2: the first time i met peter i was nine years of age it was at the open championship of 1964 and i was collecting autographs and i asked peter nervously for his autograph which he did and He was talking to me for a a moment or two, and my father, Jimmy, a professional golfer in Edinburgh, he and Peter knew each other. Not well, but they knew who they were. And he said, you know, what's your handicap, and how long have you been playing, and, and where do you play? And then he saw my father, and he came over, and what struck me, even at that age, and it is a very young age, and I still remember it, was the time he gave to me who was just a kid running about with an autograph book. And and that's the way Peter was all the way through his life. He always had time to speak to people. Uh, the first impression uh, of Peter was, was impressive. And I followed his career as a teenager. Uh, he was very much a, a top player at that time, late fifties, early sixties, going into early seventies. Uh, Peter was still a, a top golfer. so. It gave me an interest in his career. I just didn't realise at nine years of age where we would go from there and and where we would be in, in 40, 50 years time.
0: I remember, you know, he'd be he'd be greeted by by Arnold Palmer as the old friend he was, and you'd be going, oh, goodness me, this is someone whose career, whose life in golf goes back a long, long way, and his, his roots spread out in golf through, I mean, so many people he he knew. And I'm not just talking about the, the great and the good, the famous players who he did all know. He'd played with them and um, he was contemporaries with many of the sort of great players of our game. But people in in clubhouses, clubs around the country and organisations, governing bodies, he knew everybody. And it was, uh, it was very strange, but also uh, slightly... Um, i say comforting to be around him in a golf situation because everybody wanted to say hello to him and everybody wanted a a piece of his time and he was happy to give it.
3: Peter was a a truly gentle person. He was a gentleman. He was a fascinating character. And I think the key to his fascinating nature was the fact that he was fascinated by other people. Other people. He didn't sleep too well. and I would sometimes go in, always, into the uh, the main studio where the commentary booth was, very early, crack a dawn sometimes. He would, me- he would most often be already there. He was up, he was just watching the world go by from the great big studio, and I- this is one of my most favorite times with him. It would be very, very early in the morning. I'd go in, I was fluffing around, getting myself ready for the broadcast, and he'd be there, just sitting, looking out the window, watching the, the, uh, the first spectators coming by and he'd be watch and he would just watch people just observe people the whole scene and then he would just wonder aloud to you he'd say i wonder what that man does for a living or that family there look at look at them hazel what time do you think they started packing that huge picnic or there's a family of starlings up in the roof of the clubhouse there must be eight of them i've seen them come and go for hours he did that all he was just fascinated he really loved the company of people He wasn't just fascinated, he was incredibly kind, both he and his wife Jackie, uh, really genuinely kind people. They're not hobnobbers, they treated everyone the same, everyone, every member of the production team. Um, And often they would see someone in the crew who was perhaps about to eat on their own downstairs in the hotel bar or in the same restaurant after a broadcast, and they would simply insist that they would come and join them. Camera people, drivers, sound assistants, presenters, makeup artists, everyone. He was very, very kind. Genuinely interested in people. What have you been doing today? What does your work involve? Honestly, and this was not just to make conversation. And he would always, he would always take something from those conversations that would interest him, and he would he would imbue his commentary with it. So he, he genuinely um, was a, is a wonderful, wonderful um, observer of people.
1: He brought with that a, a fascinating blend and mix of so many anecdotal stories that had nothing to do with golf. It might have something to do with. Uh, a random stranger that he ran into at the supermarket, or someone he passed on the street and and he would give uh, a a story an analogy to that person uh in in the heat of competition when someone was trying to grind it out for a major title uh, so it was a there was a folksy way about him because he was at times able to relate just the common man into his commentary through analogies. As a golfer, if you look back at some of the
2: scores Peter had with the equipment they had in these days, um, the way courses were, they weren't as pristine as they are today. If you look at the scores that, that Peter recorded, it showed you how good a golfer Peter was. And you go back to these days and you see how much money or how little money uh, the, these players were playing for. You needed to have a club job or you needed to have another job. And Peter was always one looking for another job. He, he was very keen on course design and formed a formed a really good partnership with Dave Thomas down the years, and Clive Clark would be another one that, that he'd designed courses with. So he had a, he had quite a few interests. Although Peter didn't have many hobbies in his life, he had a lot of interests. And you needed to be able to do these things to make a a reasonable living.
4: I played uh, pretty well. I got in my first Ryder Cup cap in 1953. Went on to play in another seven. World Cups ten times, winner of 20-odd tournaments. And then the chance of television came along. Journalistic experience, writing for a couple of newspapers, magazines, and so on and so on. I started doing television in the early 60s and by 1974, pro-celebrity golf had started. And through my association with Mark McCormack and ING, he introduced me to the world of television over here and uh, working for ABC television. And I can, uh, it's very difficult to pick uh, the BBC or ABC. I'm a, an Englishman. And of course, one is always happiest at home. But I never enjoyed myself more than coming here and working with ABC. Why? Well, they were lovely people. One or two of them shouted a bit and swore, Um, but they didn't swear at me too often. And uh, I suppose in four days of television, I might've actually spoken for about an hour and they paid me a ridiculous amount of money.
1: (laughs) I love the times when over here in the US when the American broadcast feed would suddenly have a guest appearance by Peter for about 45 minutes. And he would run alone during that 45 minutes. he just could not wait for them to turn it over to Peter Alice to give kind of the um, homeland view of the Open Championship and try to explain uh, all the intricacies and the importance of it to, to an audience over here that By and large, most of them had never even traveled there in their lifetime. Uh, Those 45-minute windows when he would appear as a guest were absolutely brilliant. And when it came time for him to turn it back over to the American commentators, (laughs) nothing against any of them. They're all my friends. It just left you saying, oh, please, Peter, come back.
5: Well, this fellow is be the useful one. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. We were just thinking now, won't it be nice to have two putts from about three feet for the Open Championship and suddenly young master Watson has to pull himself together and pop his in to be champion. What a putt, what a putt. Yes, well, well, well. It was, absolute drama to the end. I don't think I've seen
2: anything better than that in my life, and neither of you. 77, the jewel in the sun. I think anyone who saw that will remember where they were at that time. It was one of these iconic moments in sport. These moments were in the early part of, of Peter's career, and moments like that, Seve, 1984, you know, the joy, I think Peter's words was the joy or, or the celebration and the warmth, the pleasure that came out. The moments like 77 and before would have trained Peter to be able to cope with that moment. And I, I think if you ask a lot of people from that era, Seve's punching of the air at St Andrews was something no golfer will ever forget. It was a picture of sheer joy. Sevy. Lining up a shortish putt.
5: Coming I mean, up the hill. Slightly uphill. This for a three. And he's just done it, each- Oh! oh! oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. You think he enjoyed that one? Go on, give him a kiss as well. That's fantastic, Stan. Came in uh, slightly through the tradesman's entrance, as dear old Henry used to say. But that
2: was a three. I played in that. I'd finished about an hour and a half before Seve. And I stayed on because Watson was in there, but Seve was in there, and Seve was a, a, a close friend of mine. And to watch that from the steps of the Royal and Ancient and watch Seve turning and punching in different directions and, and Nick DePaul, his caddy, the words Peter put over that were exceptional. The pictures were so great, they didn't need a lot of words. And, and that's exactly what Peter did. So that's one moment I would look back on, uh, on Peter's career and think he, he handled that beautifully.
1: There was this ability on the air to have so many different directions uh, in his commentary. He could be analytical as a truly great player in his day. Uh, he could be whimsical as much as anyone that's, that's ever tried to perfect the craft. And he could be critical when, when the time was appropriate the
2: words in 1999 were, were the words not just of a broadcaster they were the words of a, a professional golfer as well because it started off being a bit flippant and then peter realized the damage this is doing to van der i mean how many chances do you get to win the open no matter how good you are how many chances and probably for jean this was it this was his time and, and he needed to see it through and, I remember his his voice changed and his thought process changed the longer it went on. I just thought he handled that in, in more ways than a broadcaster. If, if you'd had a professional broadcaster there, it wouldn't have been handled as well because his love of the game, his understanding of professional golf, I think shone through that half hour that was spent in the Barry Burn. Well, you do- <laughs> I don't believe
5: this. What is going on here? Let's have another look at uh, Vanderbilt's second. You can see it start to the right of the clock. I'd, I'd, I'd never crossed my mind he was going to clatter into the grandstand and hit the face of the grandstand and bounce backwards. There it goes, there, misses everybody. And you see, misses the bounce on on the stonework on the edge of the burn, and then goes back into the hay behind, which is extraordinary. (laughs) Well, Sean, you've still got a bit of work to do here, sometimes. He does have the luxury of uh, having a few shots in hand. Quite extraordinary, if he should do it and it will be a wonderful thing for the game of golf and everyone will pull for him i'm sure now where is he going now he's going out left to the front of the green yeah it must be This is, uh, this is so, 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 so sad. And so unnecessary. There are moments when (laughs) you really don't know what to say. The fellow had a three shot lead 10 minutes ago. He gets away with murder off the tee. And then he's he's surely not gonna go and climb down in there and try to whack it out of there. No, no, that would be, that would be, that would be totally ridiculous. Now what do you do? On earth do you doing? No, Jean, please. Would somebody kindly let's, go and stop him? Give him a large brandy and mop him down. No, this this really is beyond a joke. Now he's he's, he's gone gaga because this is uh, this is quite. I've never seen anything like it before, and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure
3: madness. Van der Vaal's meltdown at the last at Carnoustie '99. He's taking his socks and shoes and heading into the Barry Burn. Please stop him! Somebody get him a large brandy, mop him down. And and actually, I was watching that one from home, and I do remember thinking, "You're quite right. Please, someone stop him." It was actually quite upsetting what we were witnessing it wasn't funny um, it was quite it was quite um not to use the word tragic that's terribly overused and it wasn't a tragedy but it was it was sad nonetheless um, and I think many people didn't think he stuck the right balance but I did and I remember empathizing greatly with what he said at the time.
0: People say you know did he prepare lines and he couldn't prepare this line and um it was when we were talking it was at the 2015 Walker Cup at um at Lytham and uh, the American captain was Spider Miller. He'd been given the nickname Spider because his family owned a grocer shop, and when he was young, when he was a boy, he used to climb all the shelves of the, the food around the around the grocer shop. So they called him Spider, and that stuck. So he was known as Spider Miller. And so I wanted to get this fact out in commentary. And I said, um, I said, Peter, do you know why they, why he's called Spider Miller? Why he's called Spider? And Peter, without a pause, just said, What? You can't get out of the bath. And that was an example of his very, very sharp, quick wit. Um, you know, because people listened to Peter and thought, Oh, he's a comfy old buffer, Peter. And, you know, I can listen to him, but he's a, a bit out of touch. But I promise you, his, his wit was razor sharp. And that's another thing about the, why it was such a joy to work with him because. Um, his 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 wit was there, but also the timing. The timing was perfect, and um, you know I learned a lot from, as well as enjoying myself a huge amount. I learned a lot from sitting alongside Peter.
1: What you're getting at home, as a consumer, as a viewer, is you're getting the real deal. You're not getting someone that's putting on a performance and trying to be someone else. And Peter, I believe what we heard in his magical ways of presenting. Tournament coverage, that's the way he was off the air. He was a gifted storyteller, raconteur uh, that perhaps had no equal and just freely spoke his mind. And
2: Peter's been accused at times of being too near the mark. I think of all the things Peter has said and been picked up on some of the things he said, There's never been one ounce of malice or or nastiness in it all, it it, it was humour. I I laughed, I laughed at some of the things Peter says. Uh, I just don't think that that he's trying to offend anyone or he was trying to offend anyone. It was just Peter's humour and part of his life, a big part of his life.
3: I mean, he could be a maverick, obviously, uh, he sometimes had a beanie's bonnet about some issue or other, and you just knew that he was irked by it. And the, the kind of waspish sense of humour would occasionally turn into a proper sting. Um, you were waiting for it, he was building up to something, and then there could be a whoop, everyone put your crash helmets on, he's gonna, he's gonna strike. Um, so he wasn't always on message, uh, and I'm sure he rubbed a few people up the wrong way, but that was Peter. He was nothing, if never, not true to himself.
0: He was a great observer of life, but also of what was on the screen in front of him. So quite often commentators, in not just in golf, in any sport, are very keen to get a certain amount of stats and facts in and, and get some pre-prepared lines and, and 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 go according to their own script, whereas Peter would see what was in the monitor in front of him, and he would find the line that was appropriate to that. And so you'd be sitting watching at home and you'd go, do you know what, Patrick Harrington does walk a little bit like that, or... Or Justin Rose, he's got a great um, uh, way of describing Justin Rose, or whoever it might be. Or you'd have those cutaways of the various things happening. Um, You know, we talked about it before. There were Peter cutaways. There were cutaways that our director said, here's one for you, Peter, and it'd be a horse galloping in the sea from the high camera, the crane camera from the the plane uh, flying overhead. Or it'd be a couple sitting in the sand dunes. you go, well, what are these two up to here? Um, Or uh, whatever it might be, he would have something... Just beautiful and funny, pithy, accurate to say about those shots. And that's the skill of a great commentator. It's not just that you can commentate on the sport that's happening, but it's so that you can find a line for every, everything else that's happening on the monitor in front of you. Because a great commentator is not just an observer of the sport, but an observer of
4: life. And that's what Peter was. Now, what's... <laughs> Dad, come on, Dad, it's cold. I'm trying to smile. I'm trying to, I'm, I really am happy, Dad. Uh, thank you so much for bringing me out here. Uh, thumbs down's right, son. Get yourself a warm jacket. I wonder if he's a dentist as well. Oh, show us your teeth, son. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite bizarre. Come on, get out of it.
3: And it, you just never really knew what was coming next, honestly. There was nothing... There was nothing obvious with Peter, nothing. Um, and he also said to me in a tiny commentary booth that we once shared at the Walker Cup at Royal Aberdeen, he was sitting opposite my commentary station and Paul, our director, cut up some shots of some very hardy kite surfers doing their thing in the North Sea off the coast and what was a really wild, windy, wet day. And uh, he just looked over at me, gave me a big wink and he said, ooh, look at that, you know, I really miss my kite surfing days. <laughs> it's so fun. What is he all about? But but there was a lot of very clever little nuance. I mean, as if Peter would ever have been in a kite surfer. But uh, but he always just liked to play. Um, he always just liked to play and have some fun as well as as the serious stuff. So it was always a delight to be in a booth with him because you had to be on your guard because he would always he would always throw something at you. But. Uh, it was good fun. It was good fun with him. It really was.
0: And that's that sums Peter up and, and sums up the great broadcasters and great commentators because he was able to switch from the, the very, very heartfelt, serious stuff to the light and frivolous and to go from the... It's the light and shade of commentary. And he could do the serious stuff, but he was very well aware that not everything was serious. And so when you have the dramatic moments, he was there to do those, but... Uh, and, and give them due reverence. But he was also there to have fun because sport is about the serious stuff but also the fun stuff. And that's that's what life's about as well.
1: But a little ray of sunshine comes into the voice booth now as Peter Atlas is here on the 50th anniversary <laughs> of his first open call. And I haven't changed a whisker in appearance. In my brief times as a contributor to the BBC broadcast at the open, and I don't want to overemphasize my role there, it was minimal. They were cameos. But the year that I happened to have a a deeper role was 2011 at Royal St. George's. And the BBC style of broadcasting is quite opposite of the way we do things over in the US. We have announcers that are positioned behind behind the holes over here for CBS I'm broadcasting always behind the 18th green but for the BBC you actually sit in a trailer without a bird's eye view without a real look at the action you're not you're not as I am over here from the tower I'm looking down at the green and can call the action with my eyes the BBC approach was to call it off of a monitor and to pair up commentators and the commentators would go in 45 minute to one hour stretches (laughs) the biggest assignment would be to find yourself blending in tandem with peter alice which is what the case was for me in 2011 during uh, a a good portion of the final round of, of darren clark's victory year so that to me was a true career highlight And it was just back and forth. And it's interesting, I'm sure the viewer at home has no idea how this works, but you're actually facing the other commentator. You cut around as commentators when the action has finished with one particular player. For example, Phil Mickelson for birdie at the fifth. This would be Phil's third birdie through the first five holes. And he said before the round that if he can get off to a hot start, he's got a chance today. 14 Mickelson. Careful here. Bill. Oh, Bill. play. Sideways since that little miss at the 11. Now the visual cuts to uh, Lee Westwood, and now the other announcer, in this case Peter, says Lee Westwood and at the sixth and Lee's. You know, rattled off five straight pars, a rather boring start for him today. Unable to take advantage of the par fives, and oh, that's not what he wanted to do there. Lee, 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 what were you thinking there, dear boy? Oh, dear.
4: Lee Westwood missed another green. trying desperately to get this one close. Again, Again. failing. It's not uh, been a happy round of
1: golf so far for Lee Westwood. He doesn't seem to be happy, so He's a bit out of sorts today. <laughs> Boom, ping pongs back over to another thing, to another player, and now Peter picks up the call. So it's back and forth, and you're facing the whole time the other commentators. So to be doing that dance step with Peter at Royal St. George's, I mean, that was a very weighty assignment for me. My gosh, what an honor. Back and forth we would go. That was a thrill. I wish I had video or a picture of that moment of that day, but uh, I don't. And he was cordial, kind, considerate, polite, uh, you know, a great teammate, albeit, again, just a very brief little cameo in my life, but what an honor to be able to say I did that.
0: Well, outside of the booth, inside the booth, microphone on, microphone off, exactly the same. So the person that you listen to while you're watching television was the person you'd be listening to if you're sitting down having a chat around a table. He was just great company and he was great company when you were watching golf because he was a great storyteller, raconteur, great observer of life and all those things he he told, uh, he, he you know, he, he was when he was not commentating.
3: And believe me, when he was on form at the dinner table... Um, and maybe after a couple of wines, there were few better raconteurs than Peter. He was uproariously funny. He could be opinionated, he could be wonderful fun, and he could tell some stories. Boy, could he tell some stories. He could hold a table, he could hold a room full of people, he could hold a theatre full of people in the palm of his hand.
2: Well, I can tell you, he was wittier off the golf course than he, than he was in the commentary books. Peter was never happier than being in a fine establishment with an excellent wine list, good company, because conversation was his life. It's something that came very easy to Peter. He had a tremendous imagination and and things he would see, he would conjure up things in his mind. And the funny thing is that when we did go out for these dinners, golf was hardly ever mentioned. And and these these days were, for me, tremendously special because he was a special person. Um, as a broadcaster, he was unsurpassed. As a golfer, we've talked about how good he was as a golfer. But he enjoyed company. He, he loved conversation. And if you think about it, his commentary was exactly that.
1: It's hard to imagine that there will ever be anyone just like him. I think there are a lot of people who will try to be like him. But he was a man of the world, wasn't he? I mean, there was an erudition with him where you could just tell, even as a viewer, if you never met Peter Alice, you knew that if you ever had to phone a friend about a trivia question, or you needed um, some expertise on uh, a fine wine to go with a certain meal or a vacation spot that you should check out in, uh, in uh, Southeast Asia or, hey, can somebody set me straight on um, some, some history of the royals in Sweden? Whatever this might be, like Peter Alice would be a pretty good guy to probably call and figure he might have the answer because he was a man of the world. It's like he absorbed in his lifetime all these little tidbits of information as a player, as as an architect. This man's knowledge and um, understanding of the world and cultures and just understanding people, it was extraordinary and that's a gift.
0: I never like to pigeonhole Peter Alice as a golf commentator or a sports broadcaster. He's just a a broadcaster. He was someone who who was able to, you know, if you didn't enjoy golf at all, if you didn't know anything about golf, I still think you could have listened to Peter Alice and have been entertained and understood the humor of it, um, and that 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 really says a huge amount to me about his quality as a as a broadcaster.
3: One of my favorite times was when. I sort of had him to myself for a conversation um, on the porch of a house that we were renting at the Masters and I just had a half hour with him. Uh, he had a bad leg and his, and his leg was was up and he couldn't really get about so we were going in there and chatting to him and I just, it was a beautiful day, there was a lovely bird song, and we were sitting amongst the trees, the wind blowing through the trees. And just chewing the fat and just having a good old chat, conversation about the family and his family. He loved his fat. He loved the kids. He loved the grandchildren. He was so proud to tell me all about them and what they were doing. And, and that, those lovely times that you got them to yourself for a bit. That was really, really special. And he invited me to be a speaker at one of the big charity dinners that his, his wife Jackie runs. He he raised millions of pounds um, for charitable causes. He really was amazing. Uh, a lot of people didn't realise this.
2: Peter was a joy to be around because you were never short of something to say. If you had an opinion, he would have an opinion as well. So conversation was great. It, it was enjoyable. It was something you looked forward to. And when you'd finished that conversation, you looked forward to the next one. That's the way he was. He was infectious as as a human being to be in his company and and listen to his thoughts, um, listen to his arguments, because there was plenty of them as well. Um, And I, I do feel very privileged to have known him as a golfer and as a broadcaster, but probably above all that, I think I was very privileged to be able to spend a reasonable amount of time with him.
0: I I will miss Peter, I'll miss listening to him, Um, I'll miss working alongside him, I'll miss spending time with him again when the microphones went off and we would sit there and chat. It's just, it's one of those um, people, he, you, you know, they're not going to go on forever. He was nearly 90. He had, a, he had a great and long and hugely successful life full of rich experiences. But you still think that, oh, that person or that voice is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. I suppose the voice always will be there because it's its recorded for posterity over so many great moments. But I will just, um, I will miss spending time with them. You know, Peter could be, Peter could be sometimes, as we can all be, a little bit. Cantankerous and short, but he was charming, and he was great fun to spend time with. And that's the when I remember Peter, I think of I think of fun. I think of him as a as a a brilliant broadcaster, but I'll think of the fun times as well.
1: Peter's life was way bigger than being a player. Uh, his impact, uh, you know, it, it was Hall of Fame worthy. He was a spokesman for the game. He was a voice for the game, and he represented it proudly. He gave uh, golf a brilliant view of the game from all angles, a cultured journey uh, every single time that uh, he was on the microphone at a golf tournament. It was it was a learning experience. If you didn't walk away from one of his shows and find out six or seven or eight or nine or ten facts that you never knew before, and it might have nothing to do with any of the players, it might have nothing to do with golf. Uh, I, I would say that was pretty par for the course
2: for Peter. Peter satisfied so many generations of golfers. He satisfied the ones that he came from. He then satisfied the golfers that were playing when he wasn't playing, when he'd finished. And then he satisfied the young generation. I don't think anyone would would ever turn around and say that they didn't watch a program because they didn't like Peter Ellis, But millions would actually turn round and said, I'm not that keen on golf, I'm not that interested in golf, but I love listening to Peter Alice.
3: I often looked across at him in a commentary booth and I told myself to remember it, to remember being there with him and trying to learn from him. And remembering his hey up, how's it going today? Uh, and I think there are one or two people in your life who exert a huge influence upon you, and that influence continues. And I will always hear his voice, and I will always remember Wonderful Times, with Mr. Alice.
4: I just want to say this, uh, uh, think of it often. Uh, because I did leave school early. I I was quite bright, but uh, I remember my last report which was sent home. We had a a, a headmistress at my modest school. She was a Mrs. Violet Weymouth. But I remember the last report she sent back to my parents, and it went something like this. Peter does have a brain, but he's rather loath to use it. His only interests appear to be the game of golf and Violet Pretty. (laughs) A girl allied to, she never knew about Iris Baker, but they were the two (laughs) that introduced me to some of the ways of the world. (laughs) for which, um, which I'll be eternally grateful. <laughs> and although we were very young, I wish to God I could do it today. <laughs> <laughs> I fear for his future were the last words she wrote <laughs> on my report. So mum and dad died a long, long time ago And if there is such a thing as heaven, and if people do look down, um, well, mum, dad, here we are, look at this lot. (laughs) Look where I've been, look what I've done. Never worked very hard at it. And it's all fallen into place. Lovely family, lovely wife, looks after me, shouts a bit occasionally, but uh, (laughs) they are remarkable. They put up with all my nonsense, and uh, I love them dearly.